Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, where we talk about elder law issues. That's why we call it that. I'm chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the other partners at the office. Today, I want to talk about Jimmy Carter. Actually, I want to talk about hospice. Hospice is in the news because of Jimmy Carter making a decision to go on hospice. And it gives us another opportunity. We've talked about hospice before, but it gives us another opportunity to sort of explain for people how hospice works and why it's one of the best programs ever imagined for medical care. Uh, Although that sounds sort of macabre, like you have to give up. I guess that's really one of the questions, Elizabeth. Do you have to give up on continued life in order to be in hospice? No, Robert, my answer is absolutely not. I think for many people, hospice has just a lot of preconceived notions, sometimes memories, sometimes fears that just occur to people as they think about what hospice means. And a lot of times people have actually never had experience working with a hospice or working with or being close to someone going through a process that involves hospice care. And so there are a lot of assumptions made about what it means to receive services through hospice care. It's important for folks who are listening today to understand that the decision to receive care through a hospice program, meaning that you would receive some palliative care, helping with things like pain management, things to to make sure that you're comfortable at the end of your life, Those decisions are decisions that oftentimes take people a while to walk through and talk to their doctors about, talk to family about. The decision to start hospice is is not one that many people make suddenly, Robert, but is one that usually happens in the course of time when somebody realizes that his or her condition may not be improving. It's really ideal to make sure somebody can engage with their medical providers themselves about their decision to start hospice. That's what we try and encourage families to consider. Um, rather than waiting and struggling and really being uncomfortable until the end of your life and having your children or your spouse make a decisions, decision about hospice for you. It's really something that we like to be able to see people engage in a conversation about themselves. Elizabeth, you and I have each had some personal recent experience with hospice. Your grandmother, my mother, both died in the last year and uh, and both had had spent the last months of their lives on hospice. So we have some notion about how it actually affects family. And that's one of the key things about hospice, that it's not just for the patient. It also uh, provides counseling and and, uh, support and reinforcement and reassurance for the family members. In many cases, even after the death of the patient, they're there for grief counseling and and helping people work through. I I know with, with my mother, and I think this is true with your grandmother as well, that the hospice workers became sort of friends of the family, that, um, that they were really very well um, connected to the family members. I think that's true, Robert. And in some cases, folks at the end of their life do want some privacy. And so hospice can also act as a bit of a buffer sometimes with family who may be struggling with issues and um, experiencing tension. Hospice can really create some advocacy and privacy for someone who who is at the end of their lives and, and may not want to be in the middle of family conflict. So what you said about 
hospice services and counseling, it's important to remember, Robert, that sometimes that counseling involves discussions around death and discussion involves discussions around a parent's decision about whether or not to begin hospice. I've had cases where um, Fleming and Curdy has served as a guardian, and we have tried to work with family and discuss with family the reasons why we believe that it's time to consider hospice. And sometimes families really are um, are not ready to, to engage in a discussion. Those have been times where I've really sought out the case manager who's part of the hospice program to talk to the family and, and help educate and explain to them why somebody may seek hospice services. So Robert, it's also on the front end, I think, if somebody decides to proceed to receive care through hospice, uh, there are great case managers out there who work in hospice programs who can help try and get the family on the same page, the reasons why hospice may be important to consider. One of the things that surprises people when they have a family member go through the hospice program is that in most cases, all the costs related to the hospice enrollment and, and the provision of care are covered by Medicare, completely covered. So the vast majority of hospice patients pay nothing or very nearly nothing for the extra kind of, of care and, and uh, oversight they get. And Robert, when we talk about that kind of care and oversight, may include things like help with bathing, may include things like making sure there's enough oxygen in someone's home. These are things that are ancillary services and equipment that really are separate from the medication. A lot of people consider hospice and they think about drugs. We're talking about totally separate things that can make somebody more comfortable. I think about a, a really good hospital bed, for instance, or um, a nice mattress for the hospital bed that actually makes it much more comfortable when somebody's no longer ambulatory. The, the really active hospice program in the United States is really only about 50 years old. Uh, they really just started. And interestingly for people in the Tucson area, Tucson had, I, I believe, the second hospice dedicated facility in the country. And that really gives me a chance to say a lot of people still think of hospice as a place you go. And that's what it was in the very early years of hospice. Hospice facilities were like specialized nursing homes with mostly terminally ill patients. But most people today get their hospice care in their current setting. And, and I think President Carter gave us a real chance to see that. He's announced that he's not going to the hospital anymore, that he's decided to allow hospice to come into the home and provide services in the home, and that that should help prevent any further hospitalizations. Um, that's exactly the experience I had with my mother. She went to the hospital about four times before hospice stepped in and, and allowed her to stay in the care home where she was living um, full time. She never had any uh, hospitalization or any serious incident again until her death. And I think that's kind of the ordinary course. So hospice isn't a place you go to. It's a, a concept, a philosophy that you buy into. And Robert, if somebody does want to receive inpatient care and treatment through hospice, there are hospice placements um, that are that are really specialized and can provide people with um, in kind of inpatient care. What we see, though, is that oftentimes people want to be home, which is completely understandable. I think that the only other thing that I would mention to folks listening today about hospice, which is important to consider, is is that just because somebody may start hospice doesn't mean that somebody's going to die immediately. 
you know, I, I am constantly surprised by how well people seem to do once they're able to start hospice. It's really interesting. You will see people who might be on hospice for years. And sometimes we see people who they're able to become more comfortable based on the pain management. They're actually able to eat. They're able to get stronger. And sometimes people even get bumped off of hospice. But it's not unusual in any way for hospice to really improve somebody's quality of life. And sometimes that means that they end up living longer, I think, because they've received good care, particularly palliative care. They, they sometimes live longer, and in almost every case, the quality of their life at the end of life is improved. Uh, I, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about hospice, is that you have to be on death's door to enter the hospice program. Well, no. The, your physician has to be prepared to certify that you're likely to die in the next six months. Uh, but if you don't die in the next six months, they can extend that. They can have multiple extensions. And we do occasionally in our practice where we act as fiduciary and, and therefore are often dealing with the care and, and the financing for people at the end of life, we see people who, as you say, Elizabeth, leave the program. I like to think of it as graduating from hospice, but, um, but having that regular care and oversight and just getting better attention to their pain can actually improve people's condition enough that they no longer are really expected to die in the next six months. And, uh, and that can be a terrific boon to family members who can see a reduction in anxiety, can have a reduction in their own anxiety. I, I started by saying this is just a fantastic program and, uh, and that's a good place to end as well. The, the people who we know who go through hospice are universally well served by it and family members are almost universally enthusiastic about the care at the end of life. Is that what you saw with Ab- your own? Absolutely, Robert. Yeah. So uh, don't don't avoid hospice. In fact, actually one of the things that we hear a lot is, gosh, I wish I'd known about hospice six months or a year earlier because that would have been great for my mother or my grandmother or my father or whomever or myself. There are people who are, as I think maybe a characterization of President Carter who are competent and able to communicate who uh, who choose hospice for themselves. Hospice is a great program. Fleming and Curdy PLC is a great law office in Tucson, Arizona, and we love to do these weekly podcasts, Elder Law Issues. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, and we hope that you will join us for our next podcast as well. Thanks.